What's up, Amelia? How many of you love Jesus today? You love him? Big shout out to Elk River, Lakeville, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and those joining online. It's great to be back together again a week later after Easter. Great things happen in each of our locations. Heard so many stories and saw so many faces of people, some that I've never seen, some I haven't seen in a long time, and it was great to celebrate. We saw over 200 people give their lives to Jesus last weekend and dedicate their life to Christ across our locations, including in kids' ministry where God is on the move and Emmanuel Kids as well. And uh, so excited about I'm also thankful for the generosity of, of the people that gathered last week to invest in the Myanmar uh, Refugee Feeding Project uh, through Kingdom Builders. There's our partnership that we have with our partners, Venture and Feed My Starving Children. And uh, we saw $45,745 come in to feed people in Myanmar. I just love it. I think that's the heartbeat of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about taking care of the world that is around us. And uh, so last week was just an amazing week. And, uh, and I was super excited to be out in the sunshine and, and go to lunch and stuff uh, outdoors on the patio. And it was just so much fun. And then the Lord just reminds me to trust in the Lord every hour when I woke up this morning and saw that white stuff back outside my window again. I'm like, Lord, you're testing me. You're testing me. It's good to be back together again. One thing that I am excited about today is that 29 years ago on this day, Jody and I said I do to each other. It's our 29th anniversary, and uh, love you. Still loving you. Thanks for still loving me. Uh, it's great to, to be on the journey together, and I can tell you that marriage takes work to keep loving each other, and we can't just rest on yesterday or 29 years ago's I do. We got to keep saying it, keep loving each other and keep working through, because life changes, doesn't it? Our dynamics of life, our challenges that we face, but it is better together. So thank you, Jody, for staying on that journey with me. We're starting this brand new series called As in Heaven, Prayer That Changes My World. One of the things that I am really wanting to see in my life and in the life of the people that attend our church is a sense of growth in our capacity to have bold prayers that change the world around us and to not rely just on our praying grandma, although thankful for praying grandmas. Um, I, I, I believe that God wants all of us to learn to pray, for all of us to learn to stretch and if that's going to happen, we're going to have to we're going to have to give some attention to that. So even today, I'm going to be challenging you to grow in your prayer life and not some of you, you you're like, I don't even know how to pray. Somebody else led me in the salvation prayer and I prayed their words. Well, you're going to start the journey of prayer where you'll feel more and more comfortable. But some of you feel like you got your black belt in prayer and you've been praying for a long time and you still got something to learn. Turn to the person next to you and say, you still have got something to learn. <laughs> Part one, Jesus' algorithm of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer ultimately is the place of encounter with God. It's communication or connection to God. Why should you pray? Because prayer opens our connection to God. 
If you're going to be connected to God, prayer is the key that unlocks the door. Psalm 18.6, but in distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him, what? Reached his ears. That means God has an eardrum that you're not just repeating some kind of chant or some kind of magic line that does something. No, on the other end of that is not AI. Come on, somebody. It's actually God. And we are connecting to him. It reaches his eardrum. Why should you pray? Because prayer will unclutter your heart. I don't know of a generation that has more anxiety than this generation. Fear of what, what the future holds. An inability to hold together the complexity of all the relational, societal, financial, insecurity kind of things in our own heart. And if we try to handle it ourselves, it goes in there and it clutters everything up. Confusion and stress can overwhelm you. But if you're burdened, you don't need a pep talk. You need a prayer time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Isaiah 40, there's a passage that talks about those who wait on the Lord, he renews their strength. There's things I can do with my strength, but there's more I can do with his strength. There's a great exchange that can take place through prayer where you're not just running so hard and getting so tired out that you have nothing left in the tank to love your family or to do the things that God put you on the planet to do. Where you can go, you know what? I'm on empty, but he's on full. And learning to exchange his strength for yours. Think of it like a little baby inside a mom's womb. And there's an umbilical cord connected between the baby and the mother. It's life-giving. That umbilical cord means everything. While the baby's in formation, all the nutrients, all the supplies that the baby needs go through that umbilical cord from the mother into the baby. And not only that, but all the all this stuff that needs to get out of the baby comes back out that same umbilical cord and is removed. Well, prayer does the same thing. All the things that we walk through in life, we need resource outside of ourselves. And prayer is that umbilical cord to heaven. And not only is it an umbilical cord that brings in all the resource, it's the umbilical cord that takes all the clutter out of your heart out. How many know we need some fresh air we need some toxins released from our body and from our spirit, and only prayer will do that. Scripture says that we're to always pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Never stop praying. Psalm 55. But I will call on God, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. It's such an important, vital activity that we cannot move forward without prayer. Your 
life as an individual cannot move forward without prayer. Your marriage cannot move forward without prayer. Your family, perhaps your business or the areas that you are called to lead in cannot move forward without prayer. During this series, we're going to challenge you to pray personally, to pray in smaller groups. We're going to pray together as a church. We're also going to view prayer as a portal to receive communication from God. So it's not one way. We want God bringing it back our way. And within each service during this series, we're going to have what we're calling overtime prayer. So once the final blessing of prayer is announced by each of our location pastors, there's going to be an open time at the front of our room, the old-fashioned altar, we used to call it, where you can come up and you can bow your knee and spend a couple extra minutes and just say, God, I want to meet with you. And let him empty your heart of the toxins and replace it with a peace that passes understanding. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. If you've never done that before, I double dog dare you to take advantage of that opportunity after the service day. Why not start by praying? Prayer opportunities at each location will be shared with you, and I encourage you to participate them as much as you can. But first, if you're going to pray, you're going to need a teacher. Jesus' disciples asked him a question in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It said, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is an interesting moment because his disciples had walked with Jesus, seen and observed everything that he did. I like to think of Jesus as the ultimate leader. He knew when to speak and what to speak. He had wisdom about where to go and discernment between ideas. He understood when there were complex issues and, and problems, how to answer those and bring in heaven's solution, if you will. I love that. And his disciples observed that. So when they asked him to teach him something, what did they ask? They didn't ask him, hey, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us how to do miracles. They learned some things. No, they said, teach us to pray. Why did they ask that? Now, you got to understand that these disciples were raised in a society where they had to go to synagogue. And they had to learn to pray as little kids. They learned the forms and the traditions of Jewish prayer. They had memorized more than most of us will ever memorize. They knew the law. They knew the Torah. They knew the prayers of the Old Testament. They knew all of those things. So it wasn't that they didn't know how to pray a certain way. What they wanted to learn was how, how, how to pray the way Jesus prays. So I don't want to just pray like everybody else. I don't want to just pray like I've already been learned, but I want to learn to pray a different way, Jesus' way. And when Jesus would pray, he would come out from behind that rock, if you will, where he had moved away from the crowd. And when he could come out, he had absolute clarity about what the Father wanted him to do. He came out with confidence that God, the Father, was giving him instructions and the Holy Spirit was with him. And these disciples were like, man, we know the stuff we're supposed to do, but we don't have the peace and the confidence and the boldness and the power that you do when you come out of prayer. I want that kind of prayer. And so they wanted a teacher. 
And this is something I want you to catch before we go right into this Lord's Prayer, because Jesus answers them without a prayer. And the first thing I want you to consider is that prayer is something you learn. It's something you can learn. If they're saying, teach us to pray, you can learn. Some of you are like, I don't know how to pray. I'm not super spiritual. I'm not like my grandma. I'm not like the pastor. Did you know anyone anywhere can learn to pray? Turn to the person next to you and say, you can pray. <laughs> You're like, so you got to go in a process. And Jesus was called a rabbi, which is a word for teacher. Jesus will teach you how to pray. You don't know how to pray. Jesus will teach you. And they wanted to learn from Jesus. Secondly, prayer is learned by doing it, by praying. It's not just something you get a lesson in. You actually learn it when you actually pray. It isn't going to be something that you hear the information. No, you've got to hear the information and then you've got to do the application. You actually have to do the praying. And no one else can do it, learn it for you. You have to do it. So Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and the version of the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus answered to the disciples' question here in a moment. But I want you to consider that Jesus' answer is, this is how you should pray, is an algorithm. An algorithm is a procedure used for solving a problem. Jesus has a process or a procedure to prayer. It's an algorithm. It's a way to do it. One thing leads to another. If you have that foundational aspect of it, you can do the other things. It's his process. So Jesus' algorithm of prayer, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 9. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now this is, how many have heard that prayer before? I'm just curious. It's probably one of the most famous prayers that anyone would know, even those that don't follow Jesus have heard it. And we're going to break this down throughout the series, so we're not going to cover the entire prayer today. We're actually going to look at the principles or the algorithms hitting in the how Jesus said we should pray. So it's not in replicating the exact words that we're to learn how to pray, but he gives us the essential items or the algorithms that need to be in our prayer life as we step into it. So the first algorithm is this person. We're praying to the Father. He says, our Father. Say that with me. Our Father. Now, there are many reasons that people don't pray. And at the top of the list is the fact that there's a blockage between people and God. We don't talk to people with whom we have a distant or broken relationship. We pull away from them. We get quiet on them. We find other people to talk to, find other things to do. Talk to everybody but the person we have a problem with. We're excellent at that in Minnesota. Some of us, we give God the silent treatment, like we do anyone else that ticks us off. 
And then there's a blockage. We don't talk to him. Some of us think he doesn't want to talk to us. See, every person has a concept of God that comes from our relationship to an earthly father. So an earthly father, if you have a father that's a good father and you're in good relationship with them and everything flows well and there's a good model and it seems functional, then our relationship to our heavenly father seems more natural. That God the Father must want to talk to me and I'm safe with that God the Father. But if I have anything else, if I have a dysfunctional relationship with an earthly father, if I don't know who my earthly father is, or perhaps my earthly father is deadbeat or I've, I've, uh, has been gone for a long time, then it affects how I view God the Father. And that can interrupt a prayer life. You see, Satan has targeted fathers over the last hundreds of years, going after the relationship between earthly fathers and their kids. And disruption in the view of God as father can stop a prayer life. Why am I naming this today? Because we are in a fatherless generation. The reality is that many of us, even if we had known our earthly fathers, there was no emotional connection to them. Or something was dysfunctional. They did not know how to communicate with us. And we need to understand that at the very beginning, if we're going to have a godly, powerful prayer life, it begins with who you're praying to, who you're talking to, how you feel about God the Father. And it begins with acknowledging our relationship with our earthly father. We need to learn to know God the Father as he really is for our prayer to be all that it could be. We need to understand the heart of God the Father. Ephesians 3, 14, the Apostle Paul, he said it this way. He said, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Paul was able to say that the creator would strengthen people if we have connection to that father. Even Jesus spends time saying, I talk to my father. I do nothing unless the father says it. It says our father. So it's not just father and it's not my father. It says what? Our father. That means he's got a big family and you're not the only one talking to him. And God likes variety in his family are, are a whole lot of different people. Look around you right now. There's a whole lot of different hair, color, styles. There's a whole bunch of different ages. He likes variety. First Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. And not only is there a big family, but he's adopted us into his family. Now, there's a lot of hope in what I just said. For those of you that don't feel noticed or wanted, or perhaps you felt outside of family, when you come into the family of God, you are a part of something special. You're adopted. You are in. 
You are a part of the family. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us we are God's children. You're in. We're together in this. And Jesus refers to his father for everything he did. And he invites us to follow him. Let him teach us. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Matthew 12, 50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we're adopted and we're invited to talk to our father. To know your heavenly father is to know what he loves and that he loves you and he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to talk to him. Listen, I know that in some family cultures that kids are to be quiet and seen and not heard. They're bothered by noises. But I'll tell you what, if you have little kids, toddlers, you have infants, how many know they're going to make some noise? And when they make some noise, he's the kind of father that enjoys the noise. Even if it's not perfect, even if it's awkward timing, he loves his kids. Jody and I, we now once again have little kids in our family. And so we've got We've got the little ones, we've got infants, we've got toddlers, and, and they're so much fun. I can just tell you, I could be having a conversation with their mom or their dad, and, and the grandkid will, will do something, and I will like ignore them, the mom and the dad, and I'll go, wow. I'll be in meetings, anybody that's around me knows this, that uh, I'll be in a meeting, and I'll see the name pop up on the screen of F FaceTime, and I'll go, excuse me. What's up, Kevin? Oh my goodness, Milo, what's going on? And I will talk to them, why? Because I'm interested in them. And I want, I, even when they couldn't talk, even if they don't have words that make sense, the Father loves them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when God says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. He's saying, I want you to talk to me, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's not like perfect, even if you're not perfect, he wants to hear your voice. Whatever you ask of my, of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus says, and in first John five fourteen, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us church. He hears you. Our Father will do two major things in our life. And I want you to catch this before we move on to the next algorithm. The first thing that the Father will always do is he will discipline us. Now, I'm not getting anybody shouting me down over that, that phrase. But the truth is, a good father disciplines his children, prepares them for their future. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? This is really an important value because when we begin to pray and we're dialoguing with God, it's not just saying, God, I want you to give me some stuff. Although you can empty your heart of all your desires and bring them to God. But it's also that kind of relationship that says, Father, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking about, but you have a bigger picture for me. You know what's going on in my life. You are playing the long game in my life. You know what I need right now more than I do. And so, Father, I'm going to talk to you, and I know that some of the answers aren't going to be the ones I want, but I trust you that you're not punishing me, you're disciplining me. A good athlete goes through disciplines to become a champion. A good athlete will say no to certain food, and no to late nights so that they get enough sleep. They'll put the time in and discipline their body to succeed. Well, a parent who disciplines their child isn't punishing the child. They're preparing their child to succeed as an adult. When God works with you, he's not working with you to punish you. He's allowing you to go through some things that might feel uncomfortable, but he's Preparing you for, for something so much bigger than you could ever imagine. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? He loves you enough to discipline you, and then he'll release us. The second thing, and this is a little bit more fun, that the father does is he will support us. So the father disciplines us, but he's also there to support us. I love what 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Did you know, no matter where you go on the earth, that God is there to strengthen you? Your father is there at your lowest moment to believe in you and lift you up. You're not alone. He's cheering for you. Psalm 103, 13, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Malachi 2, 10, are we not all children of the same father? Are we not created by the same God? He will be there for you. Jesus' algorithm of prayer, the first one was person. The second one that Jesus shows us and is teaching us is the power he says, in heaven, our Father in heaven. Heaven in the scripture wasn't just a place that we would all go to someday. It's the control room, the place of power. Whoever was in heaven was in the command center. And they had the steering wheel and they had the keys. There's no equal. There's no one like him. He's in charge. When it comes to the world, when it comes to uh, 
the spiritual world as well as the physical world that we know, when it comes to dimensions of time, God superintends over all of those things. God the Father is the ultimate authority. There's no authority that is comparable to him. If I were to play a game of opposites with you and I say one thing and you were to say the opposite, I would say hot, you would say? If I say tall, you would say? Okay, so it's an equal opposite. If I say, if I say God, what would you say? If you said Satan, you would be wrong. Now, I'm not mad at anybody. Don't feel bad if you said it. But my point is this. Everything else was an equal opposite. Satan is not an equal opposite power to God the Father. There is no stronger power than his. He is the strongest of all. There's no equal. Isaiah 6. Isaiah gets this vision of God in the temple. And he says, I saw the Lord and his train filled the temple and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And what he was saying is in those ancient days that kings would have a, a um, cloth train, kind of like you would see on the back of some, some weddings with a, a gown that the, the bride would have in the long train. Well, the kings would have that. And he, Isaiah says his train filled the temple. I mean, in other words, it was so long and so full, he was the ultimate king of kings. And that just means everything underneath that, that train is under his authority. There is no dimension that is not underneath the authority of God. So even when the world goes dark and things are going on in the legislature and our laws, when it seems like society and it, its decay and the darkness gets bolder and stronger and they're calling evil good and good evil, I want you to understand that even in those dimensions, God is the ultimate authority over it. So we are not out of control. We're not in a place of weakness. We are in a place where when we call upon God the Father, we go over the head of every other earthly authority. Literally, he is the one that is in charge. And I love this fact. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Isn't that powerful? That every knee will bow. So even when it seems so frustrating and you get some news that you can't control, you can go to your knees and talk to your father and he is in heaven, he is in charge. And you're gonna get an answer. The answer is either gonna be, I'm going to move the mountain, I'm gonna calm the storm in the sea, or I'm gonna give you a peace that passes understanding in the middle of this situation but you are never in a place where you are a victim, that you are outside of his watchful eye. He is God and he is in heaven and he is in charge. Come on, somebody. He is in charge. I love this. Because sometimes we might think, you know, is God retired? Was all of his big power authority things back in the old days? Or is he present tense in charge? He's present tense in charge. He's not washed up or a former great athlete. He's at the top of his game, and he is in the control room ready to act. That's who you're talking to when you pray. That's what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus' algorithm of prayer, number three, and I'm almost done, is praise. 
Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before? Hallowed. It's not like a common phrase we use nowadays. Or hallowed be your name. To hallow is to honor, to praise, to make holy, to honor as holy, to reveal, to respect his name. So when you're talking to God the Father, you're acknowledging he's different than you are. You're pausing and you're not using his name in vain. You see, biblically, names are very important. I mean, if you read through, there's whole like chapters of begats and the son of and the son of and the son of. How many like skip through that in your daily devotion sometimes? You're like, I'll just go to the next chapter. <laughs> but hidden within those names are valuable things. A name is important to God. Even in the book of John, it starts off with, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So scripturally, there's names mean a lot. We also associate different character to different people. If you're a biblical um, historian, you might remember someone named Jezebel. Jezebel, if I say a Jezebel, a person is a Jezebel, you have to study that if you don't know what I'm talking about. There's another guy that, that was called Ichabod, which means the spirit of the Lord has departed. <laughs> don't want to be an Ichabod. I want, to, I want God to stay with me. When Jody and I were, uh, each of our sons, were, we were preparing for them and we were asking the question, what are we going to name our kids? We went through the baby books. How many of you already did the baby books? And you're looking for the meaning of the names. And uh, we would suggest different names. I would say a name and she'd go, no. I mean, what's wrong with that name? I knew this kid and he was named that and he was a jerk. I don't want that one. <laughs> so sometimes names are associated with characteristics, okay? Hallowed be your name means that you pause and you recognize who it is that we're talking to and giving it reverential treatment. To not casually throw it around, but to recognize when I talk to God, I'm coming to the throne room. When I talk to Jehovah Jireh, that means I'm in the middle of my, my need and I, I have want, and he's my provider. When I'm sick or I've got the news that something's happening in my body or my loved one is hurting and I don't know what to do, that when I talk to Jehovah Rapha, he's my healer. There's so many different aspects to that, to pause. And Jesus says, simply when you go into prayer, there's a progression to prayer. At the very beginning of the prayer is who you're talking to and where he is. But the very next part of that is that you've got to praise him. You've got to pause and recognize who it is you're talking to. Who it is that you invited into your bedroom. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming in. And when you pause and you pray, you've got to begin to praise. There's a progression to prayer before you even ask for anything. Recognize who it is that you're talking to. 
His name opens doors. His name sends demons running. His name is the key to heaven, whatever you ask for in my name. So we carry and we honor and we represent his name. We don't just throw it around casually. The third commandment, the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Notice that this whole phrase is at the beginning is a part of how you talk to God. You pause and you praise him. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. When you pray, exalt him as the highest value in your life. If you want to really go quickly into being connected to God, start with thanking him. Lord, I know I don't deserve anything. I'm a sinner. I recognize who I am. I'll tell you what, Jesus responds to that so quickly. But when you go in and go, I demand you to do something. Oh, really? Start with praise. How much do you have to be thankful for today, church? I mean, for real. How much has he brought you through? Praise him and thank him for that. What if I let Jesus teach me to pray? What would this do to my heart? How would it impact my family and friends? How do you think I would handle the pressures of life differently? The ripple effect of Jesus, a Jesus-mentored prayer life is unbelievable. Life in your world would not be out of control. The capacity to navigate obstacles and the resources that are available to you now would be there. And for the people in your life, if you let Rabbi Jesus teach you to pray, it'll eventually turn the world upside down. And by the way, why don't you stand with me? as we end the message today, I want to just say this. Everyone can grow in prayer. Let me ask yourself a question. Have I learned everything there is to learn about prayer? Is there more to learn? Can Jesus teach you any more? Jesus, teach me to pray. Teach us to pray your way. The person, our Father, the power in heaven, and the praise, hallowed be your name. Today, we're going to go into the time they'll be singing a song and stuff in each of our locations, but I want to challenge you not to just hear a lesson, but learn the lesson by praying next. I don't know what's inside your heart, all that stuff that's been going on in there, but the best thing you could do is get it out. The best thing you could do is to talk to the Father about it today. The best thing you could do is to begin to pray, to learn to pray, to learn to pray by praying. And so I'm gonna challenge you. We got a little bit of extra time. I wanna challenge you to find a spot. When I'm done, I'm gonna do a prayer over us in a moment. 
when I'm done, I, I, I want you to find a spot to pray. We'll worship after that. Our pastors will come up and they'll clo close the service. But I want to give you a little moment where you create your own personal altar. That could be at the front of the room. That could be by turning around in your chair. That could be stepping into the aisle. But you're just simply saying, Lord, I'm going to talk to you. And it may just be for you. Lord, teach me to pray. I don't know how to. That might be the, the starting point for you. For others, it might be, Lord, expand what I've already learned. Because I want to grow in this season of my life. Jody and I, 29 years ago, said I do. And I loved her a lot back then, but I love her more now. And I would just tell you this, I have to keep updating that love. I have to keep growing it. Your prayer life needs to keep growing. You, you need to update it. You need to let there be some freshness come into your life. So I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to ask God to move in our, our church, but then I'm going to ask you to find a spot to pray just for a couple of moments, and then we'll sing, and we'll move on with the service. Go ahead and put your hands like this, like you're open to God. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that, Lord, as we come in and we talk to the person, we recognize that you're in charge, but we're going we're gonna to begin with thanking you. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for loving us despite our own ignorance and our pride. Thank you for believing in us even when we did it our own way. You never gave up. Thank you for providing for every need as Jehovah Jireh. Thank you, Lord, that you never give up on your kids. Thank you for giving us a family to be a part of. Thank you, Lord, for giving us, Lord, the capacity to breathe. Lord, there's so many things, Lord, that we have to be thankful for. And as we enter your gates with thanksgiving, we also lift up our praise to you. We acknowledge no, no matter what's going on, you're bigger. You're in charge. Lord, you're the one on the throne. You're the one that we look to. We're going over the head of every problem in the earth, every anxiety, everything that we cannot control. We're going over the head of it. We declare Jesus to be the Lord. We know, Lord, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. So Lord, we're coming to you with it. We we know, Lord, that you're faithful, that you are true, that you're everlasting with your love, that you'll never give up, and that you're coming again. So we're coming to you, and we trust you. We ask that you'd have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.